Chapter 1 of Concerning Grace and Free Will. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Concerning Grace and Free Will by St. Bernard of Clairvaux. Translated by Watkin Williams. That to the merit of a good work is needed together with the grace of God, the consent of the free will. It happened once that, when I was publicly commending the grace of God towards me, in that in any good work I both recognized that I had been prevented, and felt that I was being furthered and hoped for full attainment by its means, one of the bystanders demanded, What then is thine own work in the matter, or what recompense or reward dost thou hope for? if so be that God doeth it all. What then, I reply, dost thou advise? Give, saith he, the glory to God, who freely prevented thee, moved thee, originated thy good work, and live worthily for the time to come. So mayest thou prove thyself not ungrateful for benefits already received, and not unworthy of receiving benefits in the future. Thou counsellest well, say I, provided only that thy counsel can be followed but indeed easier is it to know what ought to be done than it is to do it for one thing is it to lead the blind and another thing to carry the weary not every man that showeth him the way giveth the wayfarer food for his journey he that instructeth him so that his feet wander not doeth one thing he that feedeth him so that he faint not by the way doeth another Thus neither is every teacher also the giver of the good that he teacheth. Accordingly my need is twofold, namely to be taught, and to be helped to do what I am taught. Thou, as a mere man, truly givest excellent counsel to my ignorance, but if the apostle is to be believed, the Spirit helpeth our infirmity. Yea, verily, it needeth that he who by thy mouth giveth me such counsel, himself give me by his Spirit help, whereby I may obey it. For, see, already his gift to will is present with me, but how to perform I find not. Nor have I any confidence that I shall ever find the way, unless it be that he who gave me the will give me also the power to perform the same. Where, then, sayest thou, are our merits, or where is our hope? Listen, I pray, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. What? Didst thou think, perchance, that thou hadst created thine own merits, that thou canst be saved by thine own righteousness, who canst not even say that Jesus is the Lord, save in the Holy Spirit? Hast thou then forgotten who it is that said, Without me ye can do nothing, and it is not of him that runneth, nor of him that willeth, but of God that showeth mercy? What, therefore, thou askest, doth free will do? I answer in a word, it is saved. Take away free will, and there remaineth nothing to be saved. Take away grace, and there is no means whereby it can be saved. This work of salvation cannot be wrought without two factors, the one, that by which it is wrought, and the other, that for which or in which it is wrought. God is the author of salvation. Free will is merely receptive thereof. None can grant it save God alone. Nothing can receive it save the free will. 
thus then salvation is given by god alone and it is given only to the free will even as it cannot be wrought without the consent of the receiver so it cannot be wrought without the grace of the giver accordingly free will is said to cooperate with the grace which worketh salvation when the free will consenteth that is to say is saved for to consent is to be saved it followeth that the spirit of a brute can in no wise receive such salvation for it lacketh the faculty of free consent whereby it may submissively obey the god that saveth it whether by acquiescing in his commands or by believing his promises or by rendering thanks for his benefits but consent of the will is one thing natural appetite is another the latter indeed is common to us with the irrational animals nor hath it by the power of giving consent to the spirit nor hath it the power of giving consent to the spirit being ensnared by the attractions of the flesh and perhaps it is this of which the apostle speaketh under another name as the wisdom of the flesh where he saith the wisdom of the flesh is at enmity with god for it is not subject to the law of god as indeed it cannot be having then as i have said this appetite in common with the brutes it is voluntary consent which distinguisheth us from the same it is a habit of the mind self-determining voluntary consent is not under compulsion nor can it be extorted it is an act of the will it is not subject to necessity it neither denieth itself nor yieldeth itself to any save only willingly otherwise if it can be compelled to act when it would not it is subject to force and not voluntary but where there is not an act of will there is not consent for consent cannot be other than an act of will where therefore there is consent there is an act of will moreover where there is an act of will there is freedom in this sense it is that i understand the term free will end of chapter one chapter two of concerning grace and free will by st bernard of clairvaux translated by watkin williams this librivox recording is in the public domain in what freedom of will consisteth in order that what is said may be made plain and that we may the more completely attain unto the end we seek it needeth i think that we go somewhat further back in our inquiry in the material world life is not the same thing as sense perception nor sense perception as appetite nor appetite as consent this will be the more plain if we define each of these there is in every corporeal being a life which is an internal and natural movement energizing only within the confines of such a being whereas sense perception which is a movement in the body and proper to its life energizes outside its confines the natural appetite however is an active force in the living being whose function it is to move the senses to self-gratification but consent is spontaneous assent of the will or indeed as i remember that i have already said it is a habit of the mind self-determining further will is a movement of reason and rules over both sense perception and appetite in fact will in whatever direction it determine itself always hath reason as its companion 
we may say as its follower not that it is always moved by reason but that it never moveth without reason in such a way that it doth many things by means of reason against reason that is to say as it were by the aid of its ministry but against its advice or judgment whence we read the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light and again they are wise to do evil for no creature can be intelligent even in wrong-doing save only by the aid of reason but reason hath been given to the will in order to instruct it not to destroy it it would however destroy it were it to impose upon it such necessity that it could not freely of its own choice determine itself whether by wrongly consenting either to the appetite or to some evil spirit in which case it would be merely animal incapable of perceiving in any case of following after the things which belong to the spirit of god or by accepting the leading of grace unto well-doing and thus becoming that spiritual will which judgeth all things but is itself judged of none if i say the will were unable owing to the prohibition of reason to take either of these courses then it would cease to be the will for where necessity is there is not free will but if right or wrong could be done under compulsion and without the consent of free will in such case a reasonable creature ought indeed on no valid ground to suffer the doom of misery nor could it fully enjoy blessedness seeing that that faculty in it which alone is capable either of misery or of blessedness namely the will would be lacking the aforesaid life sense perception appetite plainly do not of themselves produce either misery or blessedness otherwise would the plants which possess life and the beasts which possess the remaining two attributes also be either liable to misery or fit for blessedness which is altogether impossible we possess therefore on the one hand life in common with the plants and on the other hand as well as life sense perception and appetite in common with the beasts while that which distinguisheth us from both is what is called will and it is consent of the will free not necessitated which seeing that in it consisteth our righteousness or unrighteousness maketh us deservedly blessed or the reverse such consent then on account both of the inalienable freedom of the will and of the inevitable judgment which reason everywhere and at all times exerciseth when we act is not as i think unfittingly called free choice being self-determining on account of the will and self-judging on account of the reason and rightly doth self-judgment accompany freedom seeing that he is free to determine himself when he sinneth judgeth himself there is a judicial sentence passed because if he sinneth he who need not sin unless he would justly suffereth what he would not moreover were the will not acknowledged to be free how could either good or evil justly be imputed to it necessity indeed removeth responsibility for both of these further where necessity is there is not freedom where freedom is not there is neither merit nor its correlative judgment excluding altogether original sin which it is agreed is of a different order from personal sin thus it remaineth that whatsoever hath not this liberty of free consent undoubtedly can neither merit nor be subject to judgment therefore save only the will 
all that belongeth to man seeing that it is incapable of self-determination is a matter neither for the award of merit nor for judgment life sense perception appetite memory thought and anything else of such kind that there may be are subject to necessity except in so far as they are subject to the will but it is impossible for the will which cannot of its very nature do otherwise than obey itself for there is none who doth not will what he willeth or who willeth what he doth not will to be deprived of its freedom the will can indeed be changed but only to another will in such a way that it never loseth its freedom therefore it can no more be deprived of its freedom than it can be deprived of itself were a man ever able either to will nothing at all or to will anything unwillingly then and then only would the will be able to be deprived of its freedom hence it is that to the insane to infants and also to persons asleep nothing which they may do whether it be good or bad is imputed because plainly just as they are not in possession of reason so do they not possess the use of their own wills and therefore their freedom is not subject to judgment seeing then that the will hath nothing free save itself it is only rightly judged as it is in itself indeed neither slowness of intellect nor lapse of memory nor restlessness of appetite nor obtuseness of sense perception nor feebleness of vitality of themselves bring a man into condemnation even as their contraries do not make him innocent and this for no other reason than that these conditions are proved to be caused necessarily and independently of the will end of chapter two chapter three of concerning grace and free will by st bernard of clairvaux translated by watkin williams this librivox recording is in the public domain that there is a threefold freedom that of nature that of grace and that of glory it is the will alone therefore which seeing that by reason of its innate freedom it is compelled by no necessity either to disagree with itself or to consent in any matter in spite of itself rightly maketh a man as being under no compulsion to be either righteous or unrighteous fittingly capable of blessedness or of misery provided that is to say that it hath given its consent whether to righteousness or to unrighteousness accordingly i think that this free consent of the will upon which as aforesaid every act of judgment is founded is not unsuitably wont to be called as we have already defined it free choice the word free having reference to the will and the word choice to the reason yet it is not necessarily free with that liberty of which the apostle speaketh where the spirit of the lord is there is liberty this is that freedom from sin of which he saith elsewhere when ye were the servants of sin ye were free from righteousness but now being made free from sin and become servants to god ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life but who is there in the sinful flesh that can claim for himself freedom from sin of this liberty free choice can i think by no means rightly be said to be possessed there is also a freedom from misery of which the apostle speaketh likewise the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of god but doth any man claim to possess such freedom in this our mortal state 
therefore we rightly refuse to call the will free in respect to this freedom but there is a freedom which i think is more proper to the will and of which we can speak as freedom from necessity on the ground that what is necessary seemeth to be the contrary of what is free in the sense that what is done of necessity is not freely done and the converse seeing therefore that as may have occurred to us there is set before us a threefold freedom that from sin that from misery and that from necessity the last of these is bestowed upon us in the state of nature the first is restored to us by grace and the second is reserved for us in the fatherland let us then call that which is first in order of development the freedom of nature that which is second the freedom of grace and that which is third the freedom of life or of glory by the first we were created with freedom of will to choose as we will creatures ennobled for the service of god by the second we are restored to innocence newly created in christ by the third are we raised to the state of glory creatures perfected in the spirit thus the first freedom hath great honour the second hath more abundant virtue and the last hath superabundant delight it is indeed in virtue of the first that we rule the brutes in virtue of the second that we subdue the flesh in virtue of the third that we overcome death or let us say just as in the gift of the first freedom god put under our feet sheep and oxen and the beasts of the field so also by means of the second freedom he in like manner casteth down and crusheth beneath our feet those spiritual beasts of this world of which it is said deliver not to the beasts the souls that confess to thee finally in the third state of freedom when he shall have fully subdued us to ourselves by means of victory over corruption and over death when that is to say the last enemy death shall have been destroyed then shall we pass unto the glorious freedom of the sons of god the freedom wherewith christ shall make us free when he shall deliver us over as his kingdom to god even the father it was of this freedom as also of that which we have called freedom from sin that as i think he spake when he said unto the jews if the son therefore make you free ye shall be free indeed he would signify that free choice needeth a liberator but plainly not a liberator from necessity of which by the very fact that it is the function of the will it could know nothing but a liberator from sin into which it freely and of itself had fallen and at the same time from the penalty of sin which it had heedlessly incurred and was unwillingly bearing from neither of which could it at all be set free save only by means of him who alone of men was made free among the dead free that is to say from sin yet living in the midst of sinners for he alone among the sons of adam claimeth for himself freedom from sin who did no sin neither was guile found in his mouth moreover from misery also which is the penalty of sin was he potentially though not actually none the less free no man indeed took away his life he laid it down of himself finally as the prophet beareth witness he was offered because he was willed so to be even as also when he willed he was born of a woman made under the law that he might redeem them that were under the law 
thus was he himself also subject to the law of misery but this was because he so willed in order that free among the miserable and sinners he might break the yoke of misery and sin from off the necks of his brethren accordingly he possessed in full these three kinds of freedom the first that from necessity in virtue both of his divine and of his human natures and the rest in virtue of his divine power whether or in what manner and to what extent the first man possessed in paradise these two last-mentioned kinds of freedom we shall see later end of chapter three chapter four of concerning grace and free will by st bernard of clairvaux translated by watkin williams this librivox recording is in the public domain what kind of freedom belongeth to the holy souls in their disembodied state what kind belongeth to god and what kind is common to all reasonable creatures we must however understand that both these kinds of freedom are possessed in fullness and perfection by the disembodied souls which have been made perfect even as they are possessed by god and by his christ and by the angels in heaven to the holy souls indeed who have not yet received their bodies there lacketh something of glory nevertheless they have no misery freedom from necessity however belongeth to all reasonable creatures whether evil or good equally or indifferently with god nor is this freedom lost or diminished either by sin or by misery nor is it greater in the righteous than in the unrighteous or more complete in the angels than in men for even as by means of grace the consent of the human will is given to well-doing so that by the fact that it is willingly given and not unwillingly compelled it maketh a man freely good and free in well-doing thus also the consent of the will when of its own accord turned aside to evil maketh a man none the less both free and self-determining in evil-doing being indeed led by his own will and not compelled by any outside force to become evil and as the angels in heaven or even god himself remain good freely that is to say of their own will and not of any extrinsic necessity so the devil both fell into evil-doing and persisteth therein equally freely that is to say of his own free motion and not by the compulsion of another therefore freedom of will remaineth even when there is capacity of mind certainly as fully in the evil as in the good though in a more ordered state in the good it remaineth also as completely after its proper fashion in human creatures as it doth in the creator though in him it is more powerful but as to the fact that men are wont to complain and say i will to possess a good will and i am unable to do so this by no means implieth a restriction of its freedom so that in such a case the will as it were suffereth violence or is subject to necessity but plainly witnesseth that the will lacketh that freedom which is called freedom from sin for he that willeth to possess a good will for he that willeth to possess a good will proveth that he possesseth a will for it is only by means of the will that he willeth to possess a good will but if he possesseth a will then hath he freedom not from sin but from necessity truly he perceiveth of himself that he hath not freedom so as to be able when he willeth to possess a good will freedom plainly from sin by which it grieveth him that his will is oppressed though not suppressed 
yet without doubt he already hath in some way a good will when he willeth to possess such a will what he willeth is in fact good nor could he will what is good unless by a good will even as he could not will what is evil unless by an evil will when we will what is good that is a good will when we will what is evil that is an evil will in both cases there is will and everywhere there is freedom necessity yieldeth to will but when we cannot do what we will we perceive indeed that our freedom is by reason of sin in a certain way miserable though not lost it is therefore simply from this freedom by which the will is free to judge itself whether as good if it have consented to well-doing or as evil if to evil-doing forsooth it perceiveth plainly that it is only by an act of will that it hath consented to either of the two that we believe free determination to be so called for freedom from sin might perhaps more fittingly be called free counsel and freedom from misery free pleasure rather than free determination as a fact determination is judgment but just as it belongs to judgment to distinguish between what may and what may not be allowable so it belongs to counsel to show what may and what may not be expedient and to pleasure to discover what may and what may not be agreeable would that we as freely took counsel for our profit as we judge concerning the allowableness of our deeds so that even as by judgment we freely decide as to the allowable and the non-allowable so by counsel we were free to choose for ourselves the allowable as expedient and to reject the non-allowable as inexpedient for in such a case we should be not only free in judgment but without doubt also free in counsel and therefore free from sin but what if either the freedom to approve what is expedient or the freedom to judge what is allowable give us also the other kinds of freedom should we not then rightly be said to possess free pleasure also seeing that we should perceive ourselves to be free in the same manner from everything that could displease that is from all misery but as it is seeing that there are many things which by the judgment we decide ought to be either done or not done which yet by the counsel we neither approve nor reject in accordance with right judgment and again seeing that not all things which we approve as right and expedient do we also freely welcome as well pleasing to us but that rather we impatiently endure them as hard and painful such being the case is it sufficiently plain that we possess neither free counsel nor free pleasure it is another question whether even before sin entered in the first man had free pleasure this shall be discussed in its proper place but quite certainly we shall possess it when by the mercy of god we shall obtain what we pray for when we say thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven for this shall be fulfilled when that which as hath been said seemeth to be common everywhere to all reasonable creatures namely a will free from necessity shall be as it is in the holy angels both secure from sin and safe from misery in the elect of mankind also who shall at length prove by the happy experience of a threefold freedom what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of god meanwhile because this hath not yet come to pass it is freedom of choice alone which in its fulness and integrity man now possesseth for freedom of counsel existeth but in a measure only and that in a few spiritual persons who have crucified their flesh with its vices and desires so that sin may not reign in their mortal body thus then that sin doth not reign cometh of freedom of counsel that sin however is not wholly lacking cometh of the captivity of the will 
but when that which is perfect is come then that which is in part shall be done away that is to say when the judgment shall be wholly free there shall no longer be any captivity of the will and this it is for which every day we pray when we say unto god thy kingdom come not yet is this kingdom fully established amongst us nevertheless every day little by little it draweth near and with sensible increase are its borders daily extended at least in those whose inward man is by the help of god renewed from day to day therefore in the measure in which the kingdom of grace is extended in that measure is the power of sin diminished but in the measure in which on account of the body of death which presseth down the soul and on account of the straitened state of our earthly habitation which indeed weigheth down the mind that museth upon many things the kingdom of grace is still restricted in that measure in this our mortal life even they who seem to be somewhat nigh unto perfection are under necessity of confessing in many things we offend all and if we say that we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us wherefore it is that they pray without ceasing saying thy kingdom come but this will not be consummated even in them until not only doth not sin reign in their mortal body but there neither is nor can be any sin at all in the body then immortal end of chapter four chapter five of concerning grace and free will by st bernard of clairvaux translated by watkin williams this librivox recording is in the public domain whether freedom from misery or freedom of counsel is granted in this world what now are we to say as regardeth the existence of freedom of pleasure in this wicked world in which scarcely sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof in which the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now being indeed made subject to vanity not willingly where the life of man upon the earth consisteth in temptation where even spiritual men who already have received the first fruits of the spirit even they groan within themselves waiting for the redemption of their bodies can it at all be that under such conditions there is any place for freedom of the kind of which we speak for neither will innocence nor righteousness be found to be safe either from sin or yet from misery in a world in which the righteous man crieth out o wretched man that i am who shall deliver me from the body of this death and again my tears have been my meat day and night where nights and days are passed in mourning there surely is no time to spare for taking pleasure finally they that would live godly in christ themselves suffer persecution the more for judgment beginneth at the house of god which also he commandeth saying begin at them of my household but although virtue be in no place of safety in this world perchance vice is and in some measure enjoyeth pleasure and escapeth misery far from it for they that rejoice where they have done evil and exult in deeds of infamy do but laugh with the wild laughter of the mad but no misery is more genuine than is false joy in short what in this world seemeth to be happiness is so far misery that the wise man saith it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting there is certainly some pleasure in the good things of the body namely in eating drinking warming oneself and other like comforts or coverings of the flesh but can it be said that even in these matters we are wholly free from misery bread is good 
but to the hungry drink delighteth but the thirsty in fact to him that is satisfied food and drink are by no means pleasant but distasteful take away hunger and thou wilt not relish bread take away thirst and thou wilt decline the most limpid fountain as though it were a stagnant marsh in like manner is it only he that is faint with heat that seeketh shade and only he that is chilled or in the gloom troubleth himself about the sun none of these things will be pleasing to a man unless urgent need have gone before if the need be taken away then the very pleasantness which seemeth to be in them is turned into loathing and disgust it must be confessed therefore that in this respect everything which belongeth unto our present life partaketh of misery unless it be that in the continual trials of our heavier labours our lighter labours are as it were a kind of consolation and while perchance as time passeth and conditions change tedium and relief follow one upon another the experience of the lesser labours seemeth unto us to be some reprieve from misery so that sometimes the passage from the more painful to the less irksome toil is counted for felicity and yet it must be confessed that they who at times wrapped in spirit through excess of contemplation are in some small measure able to taste the sweetness of heavenly felicity are indeed as often as they experience such a state free from misery plainly these as cannot be denied even in the flesh although but seldom and only in their raptures enjoy freedom of pleasure in that with mary they have chosen the best part which shall not be taken away from them for they that now possess what cannot be taken away from them in truth have experience of that which is to come but that which is to come is felicity moreover felicity and misery cannot exist together at the same moment as often therefore as they partake of the former so often do they not feel the latter accordingly it is only contemplatives who in this life are in any degree able to enjoy freedom of pleasure and that but in part in very small part and upon the rarest occasion beyond this there are even some righteous persons who enjoy freedom of counsel in part certainly but in considerable part for the rest freedom of will as hath been plainly shown above belongeth equally to all who have the use of reason as such it is none the less in the evil than in the good it is as entire in the present world as in the world to come End of chapter 5chapter six of concerning grace and free will by st bernard of clairvaux translated by watkin williams this librivox recording is in the public domain that grace is altogether necessary in order that we may will what is good it hath i think been sufficiently shown that this freedom of will is yet in certain fashion held captive so long as the other two kinds of freedom scarcely at all or only in small measure accompany it and that from no other cause than the lack of these two kinds of freedom ariseth that defect of ours of which the apostle speaketh saying so that ye cannot do the things that ye would to will indeed belongeth to us in virtue of free choice but not also the power to do what we will i do not speak of willing what is good nor of willing what is evil but but merely of willing for to will what is good is a moral success to will what is evil is a moral failure but the simple act of willing that it is which either succeedeth or faileth 
Further, it is creative grace which gave existence to the will. It is saving grace which giveth it moral success. It is the will itself which bringeth about its own moral failure. Accordingly, free choice maketh us Accordingly, free choice maketh us possessed of will. Grace maketh us possessed of goodwill. It is in virtue of free choice that we will. It is in virtue of grace that we will what is good. For even as it is one thing simply to fear and another thing to fear God, one thing simply to love and another thing to love God, indeed the terms fear and love considered merely in the abstract signify affections, but with the addition of the object they signify virtues, so also it is one thing to will and another thing to will what is good. The affections, truly, considered simply in themselves, belong to us by nature. In a certain sense they originate from ourselves. That they are directed towards their proper objects is due to grace. Nor indeed is the case otherwise than that grace ordereth aright what creation hath bestowed, so that the virtues are none else than the affections rightly ordered. It is written concerning certain men that, there they were in great fear, where no fear was. There was fear, but it was unregulated fear. The Lord wished to regulate it aright in his disciples, when he said, I will show you whom you ought to fear. So also David saith, Come ye children, hearken unto me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Thus too did the Lord rebuke men for unregulated love, saying, I came as the light into this world, and men love darkness rather than light. Therefore is it that the bride prayeth in the Song of Songs, Order love in me aright. In like manner also were they rebuked for an unregulated will, to whom it was said, Ye know not what ye ask. But they were taught to lead back the perverted will into the way of righteousness, when they heard, Are ye able to drink of the cup that I am about to drink of? Then indeed by word, but afterward by example also, he taught them to order the will aright, when, praying in the hour of his passion that the cup might pass from him, he added immediately, Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. Therefore we have received from God, in the state of nature, the power to will, in the same way as we have received the power to fear and the power to love, so that thus we might be simply created beings. But to will what is good, even as to fear and to love God, we receive by the visitation of grace, so that thus we may become not simply creatures, but God's creatures. In a certain manner, then, created as our own possession for freedom of will, by means of goodness of will, we are made God's possession. Moreover, it is he that made the will free, who also maketh it good. And to this end doth he make it good, that we may be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures, since better were it for us not to have existed at all, than for us to remain always our own possession." For they who willed to be their own possession became indeed as gods, knowing good and evil. But they did not then belong only to themselves, they belonged to the devil also. Accordingly, free will maketh us our own. Evil will maketh us the devils, good will maketh us gods. This is the meaning of the words, the Lord knoweth them that are his. For to them that are not his, he saith, verily I say unto you, I know you not. When, therefore, by reason of evil will, we belong to the devil, in a certain sense we do not meanwhile belong to God, even as when, by reason of good will, we become God's possession, we then cease to be the devil, seeing that no man can serve two masters. 
for the rest whether we belong to god or to the devil we do not cease to belong to ourselves also indeed free will remaineth to us in either case whereby there remaineth also the ground of merit so that deservedly we are either punished as evil persons who have of their own will freely become such or glorified as good which equally we cannot be save only as free agents in truth it is our own will and not the power of god which delivereth us over to the devil it is god's grace not our own will which maketh us subject to god our will of course was as must be confessed created good by the good god it will not however be perfect until it hath been perfectly subjected to its creator but far be it from us to ascribe to the will itself its own perfection while we ascribe to god its creation only seeing that without doubt it is better for it to be perfect than for it to have been simply made and that indeed it seemeth to be blasphemy to ascribe to god the lesser and to ourselves the more excellent work finally the apostle perceiving what was of nature and what was to be expected of grace said to will is present with me but how to will perfectly i find not he knew for a fact that he was able to will as possessing free choice but that in order that he might will perfectly he was in need of grace for if to will what is evil is as it were a failure of the will then to will what is good must be a success of the will for the will however to be able to will everything that is good is its perfection in order therefore to the perfection of that will of ours which we possess in virtue of free choice we stand in need of a twofold gift of grace namely both wisdom which is the conversion of the will to what is good and also full power which is its establishing in the good now perfect conversion is conversion to what is good to the end that nothing may be pleasing save only what is fitting or what is lawful perfect establishing in the good is to the end that nothing which is thus pleasing may any longer be lacking then at length shall the will be perfect when it shall have become both completely good and well satisfied the will possesseth certainly a twofold goodness from the beginning of its existence the one a general goodness derived from the mere fact of its creation in that it could not have been created other than good by the good god for god saw all that he had made and it was very good the other a special goodness derived from the freedom of choice in virtue of which it was made even after the image of him who created it suppose now that to these two goods be added a third its conversion to its creator then not unfittingly will the will be counted perfectly good good without doubt as a mere created thing better by reason of its special gift of freedom best by reason of its being regulated aright but the regulation of the will consisteth in its conversion in every single respect to god in its entire and free devotion and submission to him to such perfect righteousness however is rightly due nay indeed is actually joined the fulness of glory for these two things are so united the one to the other that the perfection of righteousness cannot be possessed save only in the fulness of glory nor can there be fulness of glory apart from perfect righteousness finally as a matter of due merit there can be no such righteousness apart from glory seeing that there can be no true glory which is not derived from such righteousness wherefore it is rightly said blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled but these are those two gifts of which we have above spoken namely true wisdom and full power 
Thus wisdom concerneth righteousness, and power concerneth glory. The terms true and full are added, the one in order to distinguish from the wisdom of the flesh, which is death, as well as from the wisdom of the world, which is foolishness with God, and by which men are wise in their own sight. Wise, I mean, to do evil. The other, in order to distinguish from them of which it is said, Mighty men shall be mightily tormented. For neither true wisdom nor full power are to be found at all, except there are joined to the free will those two possessions to which we have earlier referred, namely freedom of counsel and freedom of pleasure. I should say that certainly he alone possesseth true wisdom and full power, who is at last able not only to will in virtue of free choice, but also to will perfectly in virtue of the remaining two kinds of freedom, seeing that he can no longer will what is evil, nor fail in the attainment of what he wills, of which results the one namely true wisdom, cometh of freedom of counsel, and the other namely full power cometh of freedom of pleasure. But who would dare to boast, because man hath it within his reach to become such and so great as this? Where, or when, is such an end attained? Surely not in this world, is it? Were any disposed so to boast, would he be greater than Paul, who confesseth, saying, How to will perfectly I find not? Was Adam in paradise such and so great as this? Surely, had it been so, never would he have been an exile therefrom. End of chapter 6Chapter 7 of Concerning Grace and Free Will by St. Bernard of Clairvaux, translated by Watkin Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Whether the first man in paradise was endowed with this threefold freedom, and how far his endowment was lost by sin. It is now the place to consider a question which we have so far deferred, namely, whether the first man possessed in paradise those three kinds of freedom of which we have spoken, that is to say, freedom of choice, of counsel, and of pleasure, or, in other words, freedom from necessity, from sin, and from misery, in all their fullness, or but two of them, or only one. And indeed, concerning the first of these, there is now no question if we remember how plainly higher reason hath taught us that it is equally the possession of the righteous and of sinners. Concerning the remaining two, it may not improperly be asked whether Adam ever possessed either both, or so much as one of them. For if he possessed neither of them at all, what is it that he lost? Freedom of choice, at any rate, he always preserved intact both before and after his sin. If he lost nothing, in what did he suffer by being cast out of paradise? But if he lost either one of them, how did he lose it? What is certain is that from the time that he sinned, thenceforward, so long as he remained in the flesh, he was free neither from sin nor from misery. But again, he could in no measure have lost either of these freedoms when he had once received it, Otherwise, he cannot be proved to have possessed in their perfection either wisdom or power, as we have above defined them, for he would have been able both to will what he ought not to have willed, and to receive what he was not willing to receive. Or should it rather be said that, in a certain measure, he possessed wisdom and power, but that, because he did not possess them in their fullness, he was able to lose them? 
for indeed each of these hath two degrees a higher and a lower the higher degree of freedom of counsel is not to be able to sin the lower degree is to be able not to sin so also the higher degree of freedom of pleasure is not to be able to be disturbed the lower degree is to be able not to be disturbed accordingly the first man received at his creation the lower degrees of both kinds of freedom together with full freedom of choice and when he fell into sin lost the two former but he fell from the state of being able not to sin into that of not being able not to sin having wholly lost freedom of counsel so too did man fall from the state of being able not to be disturbed into that of not being able not to be disturbed having wholly lost freedom of pleasure there remained to him only freedom of choice and that subject to punishment in that by its means he lost the other kinds of freedom but it he could not lose having indeed by his own will become the servant of sin deservedly he lost freedom of counsel further having by reason of sin become liable to pay the penalty of death how was he any longer able to keep possession of freedom of pleasure of the three kinds of freedom therefore which he had received adam by the abuse of that which is called freedom of choice deprived himself of the rest but he abused it by the fact that when he had received it for his glory he made of it his disgrace according to the testimony of the scripture which saith man when he was in honour had no understanding he was compared unto the foolish beasts and became like unto them to man alone amongst living creatures was it given on account of his prerogative of free choice to be able to sin but it was given to him not in order that he should accordingly sin but in order that if he did not sin when he was able to have sinned he might appear more glorious for what could have redounded more to his glory than if it could have been said of him as the scripture runneth who is he and we will praise him why is he thus praiseworthy for wondrous things he did while he lived what things who was able to transgress it saith yet did he not transgress to do evil yet did he not do evil this honour then he preserved so long as he did not sin when he sinned he lost it but he sinned because he was free to sin nor was he free otherwise than by virtue of freedom of choice whence it was indeed that he had in him the possibility of sinning yet it was not the fault of him who gave him free choice but of himself who abused it in that plainly he converted to the use of sinning the faculty which he had received for the glory of not sinning for although he sinned by means of the power which he received he did not sin because he possessed the power to do so but because he willed to do so for when the devil and his angels sinned the rest also of the angels did not sin not because they were not able to sin but because they did not will to sin man's fall when he sinned is to be ascribed therefore not to the gift of the power to sin but to the fault of the will nevertheless though he fell by an act of will he hath it not equally in his power by an act of will to rise again free from sin because although there was given to the will the power so to stand that it should not fall there was not given it the power to rise again if it fell for not so easy is it to get out of a pit as it is to fall into it by an act of will alone man fell into the pit of sin but no act of will is sufficient to enable him to rise again seeing that now 
even if he so will, he is not able not to sin. End of chapter 7